If you could all open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 4. Now, I got a sneak peek of what Pastor Drew was going to preach. He was going to preach continuous series on the Apostle Paul and preach on Paul's views of birth. Uh, and I'm not going to pretend to know what goes on in Pastor Drew's head. I don't know what he was going to preach on, but I figured I could find something uh, that also has to do with birth, especially as we come into this season of celebration. We celebrate that our God and Savior was born as a baby, and we celebrate this good news through the gift of faith. We use that phrase often, don't we? Gift of faith. We call it a gift because of verses such as Ephesians 2.8, which reads, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. But I know for myself, at least, and maybe you can relate, I can easily lose sight at times of how valuable that gift really is, especially as I just go about my day-to-day activities. I know faith is valuable because I'm saved by faith, and I never doubt how valuable my salvation is. But again, if I'm just being honest, sometimes I just view faith as a means to an end. So what is the value of faith in our day-to-day lives? Or more pungently, what is the value of faith when things go wrong, during times of tragedy? So as I thought about these things, I I wanted to go through a story that kind of captures the the value of faith. It it fits in with the season. Uh, It it shows us what the value of faith is during tragedy. And I, I thought the perfect story would be the story of Cain and Abel. Now, some of you are scratching your head. You're like, I know the story of Cain and Abel. And in fact, most of the world knows the story of Cain and Abel. It's one of those archetypal stories that everyone knows. I get it. I get it. And as you're going through it in your mind, and maybe you're looking over the passage now, you're like, I, there's no mention of the word faith. So <laughs> I'm off my rocker. But before you write me off, I promise you, it's all in there. So we're going to read Genesis 4 through the, the lens of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, which reads, By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Now, this verse was originally uh, addressed to a body of suffering and tired Christians who were questioning the value of their faith, questioning the value of continuing to be a Christian, questioning, why shouldn't I just drop this all? So Hebrews 11 was written to encourage these believers, and verse 4 was written to encourage them to re-examine the Cain and Abel story, to see the value of their faith in the midst of their day-to-day lives. And so we will do the same. We will reflect upon this all-too-familiar story of Cain and Abel in light of our faith, and in doing so, we will see the value of our faith. Now, Hebrews 11.4 gives us three questions to ask of the text. First, it's a simple question, but it's an important one. What did Abel place his faith in? Second, what is the value of faith in worship? And third, what is the value of faith during tragedy? So, three questions. What did Abel place his faith in? What is the value of faith in worship? And what is the value of faith in tragedy? 
So if you want, maybe you have a bookmark or one of those ribbons, or maybe you just want to use your index finger and just keep, your, uh, keep a spot by Hebrews 11.4, because we're going to be referencing it uh, on and off throughout this sermon. But for now, let us read our text, Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. Hear the word of the Lord. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground, and now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Our good God, And Father in heaven, we thank you for the gift of your word, and we pray that you will use my words to proclaim the good news of the gospel, and that as we dig into the the fertile soil of which is Genesis chapter 4, that we will yield much good fruit, that we will see the glories of Christ, and that we would be willing to sell all things in order to acquire the treasure that we find in here. So aid us, Father by your Spirit, and may this all be done for your glory. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. So first I said we have a simple question, an important question. If Abel had faith, what did he have faith in? I know what we have faith in. We have faith in Jesus Christ. But what about Abel? So we we turn to Hebrews 11, and it gives us some clues in the first few verses of chapter 11. It says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. So if we know that Abel had faith, because Hebrews 11.4 says he did, uh, we know then Abel had assurance that something he hoped for would come. And he must have had some conviction of something which he could not see In conviction, it was true. And this faith he had must have been placed in something God said, otherwise God would not have commended him. Well, that's all very helpful, but what did God say? 
What did Abel cling on to? What did Abel place his faith in? And to answer this, we need only look back one chapter in Genesis to Genesis chapter 3. Now, you know the story. Adam and Eve had been living in paradise, the Garden of Eden, in perfect communion with their God. But as we know, they did not remain in that estate. They rebelled against God, and God drove them out of paradise. Adam and Eve lost their relationship with God and were consequently blocked by a cherubim with a flaming sword so that they may never return to the garden. And Cain and Abel would have grown up with hearing that story. And they could have looked over and see the flaming sword barring entry back into paradise and see for themselves that not only was their parents' story true, but it means that they too were guilty before God. It means that they too could not enter paradise. But they also heard another part of the story. They also grew up hearing how just before their parents were kicked out of paradise, God made Adam and Eve a promise. The promise is made in Genesis 3.15 when God, speaking to the serpent, says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So you see, God promised that a descendant of Eve's would be born, would crush the head of the serpent and set everything right. Abel then, knowing he was guilty before God, that he was unable to enter into paradise on his own, had faith in this promise, the first promise. Abel had faith in the promise that someone would be born who could defeat the serpent. Now, that's a very simple faith, right? That promise does not have a lot of details in it, yet it has vast implications. Abel and his family had no idea what to expect. In fact, Genesis 4, verses 1 through 2 suggests that Eve might have thought Cain was that promised child. If you read, it says, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. So notice, Scripture doesn't record anything special about Abel being born. Eve's proclamation is given to Cain. Regardless of how little content there is in God's promise, what's important to recognize is the kind of faith that Abel had in that promise. Earlier I said that the story of Cain and Abel captures the value of faith, and that when we read it through the lens of Hebrews 11.4, we ask the question, what did Abel have faith in? Abel had faith in God's promise that a child would be born. I feel like I, every time I get the chance to preach, I always bring up this promise because it's, it's the first promise. It's the, it is an amazing first promise. In fact, it's the first Christmas promise because, brothers and sisters, what child is this? What child would be born? To quote the beloved hymn, this, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. This first promise, the promise of a coming child, it's the first Christmas promise. True, Abel did not have the exact details of what this child was like, who it would be, but Abel had faith in the God who made the Christmas promise. We likewise, dear Christians, are to have faith in the God who kept the Christmas promise. Abel's faith was rooted in God and faithful to what little revelation was given to him. 
Likewise, dear saints, our faith is rooted in God, and we must be faithful to the fuller revelation given to us. And Jesus Christ is the fullest revelation of God. Jesus has made himself known, and the gospel calls all to believe in him. So while the content of Abel's faith was small, the kind of faith that Abel had is the same kind of faith all of us are to have, the kind of faith that brings us to this promised child. And that is the beauty of the mystery made known, that at the cross and at the expense of his own life, the promised child would crush the head of the serpent so that we may have faith in him and have eternal life. And that's why the the song I quoted earlier goes on to say, haste, haste to bring him laud, the babe, the son of Mary. So that answers the question, what did Abel place his faith in, in this promise of a coming child? Next, we ask, what is the value of this faith in worship? Let us again turn to our text in Genesis chapter 4. Starting verse 2, it reads, And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. At this point of the story, nothing seems out of the ordinary. We're all familiar with this. But let us pause to consider the offerings that were brought. Let us pause to consider the sacrifices that Cain and Abel each offered. Notice how little is spoken about the offerings. Relatively little detail is given, and it doesn't say why God had regard for Abel's and not for Cain's. Hebrews 11.4 makes the difference clear. The difference between the two offerings was that Abel offered his sacrifice by faith. That sounds simple, but it raises another question. Why did Cain offer a sacrifice if only Abel had faith? It's a fair question. Once again, we just need to think of the story that these boys would have grown up hearing, the story of Adam and Eve being driven out of Eden. In Genesis 3.21, we read that just before God cast Adam and Eve out, we read that the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. So, God sacrificed an animal, as it were, in order to remove those faulty fig leaves and to clothe Adam and Eve. So think about it. Not only would the flaming swords have stood as a reminder of their guilt before God, but the very clothing that they wore bore constant testimony to their shame before God. And this reality drove both Cain and Abel to offer sacrifices, but they had totally, totally different motivations. Only Abel had faith in the promise of God. So by faith, Abel offered a sacrifice, trusting God would fulfill the promise to set things right. And not because of anything Abel did, but simply because God made the promise. Abel would have remembered the story of how God clothed his parents in animal skins, and his sacrifice imitated God's own actions. Abel trusted God and his promise and lived a life of imitation of that God. And when we put it in those terms, we can see the similarity between the faith of Abel 
in the faith which we are all supposed to have. But Cain, Cain, on the other hand, acted according to the flesh. He offered the fruit of the ground, which more closely resembled his parents' fig leaves. His sacrifice was an attempt to obligate God to his own will, as if it was some sort of pagan ritual by which making this sacrifice you could bind or bribe God. Cain knew he was a sinner, and he knew he wanted back into paradise, but he wanted in on his own terms and by his own works. And what is the fruit of that faithless worship? God had no regard for it. If we're being honest, sometimes we fall into the temptation to think in these terms. It's easy for us to think, you know, God, I, I read my Bible, I pray every day, I go to church regularly, I volunteer, I tithe more than 10%. But then when things go wrong, we turn to him and say, I deserve better. It's as if we show him our good works and say, you owe me, God, just like Cain. Dear saints, nothing we can have to offer can ever bind or bribe God. No good work, no sacrifice we can offer will ever garner enough merit to absolve our sins or to obligate God to save us. How then can we be accepted by God? This question remains unanswered in Genesis 4, And if we continue reading, we hear these words. The Lord said to Cain, starting in verse 6, Why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Here's the problem. If we're sinners, we cannot do well. We cannot do well on our own. And if that's the case, how are we to be accepted before God? This is a hopeless place to be in, both unable to do well and unable to be accepted by God because of our sin. Hebrews 11.4 answers the question, how to get out of this dilemma? It says, by faith. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. By faith, he was commended as righteous. By faith, God commended him by accepting his gifts. How can sinners be accepted by a holy God? We are accepted and commended as righteous by God through faith. Our salvation is gifted to us by faith. We live our lives by faith. Thus, we can see the value of our faith in our salvation and our worship. Faith is valuable because through it alone, God commends us as righteous. And it's through faith alone that we can even offer acceptable worship to God. So thanks be to God that we do not need to strive in our own flesh in order to bind or obligate God to ourselves because Christ himself was the once-for-all sacrifice to cleanse us from our sins. And thanks be to God that by his mercies and the gift of faith that we are able to present ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is our spiritual act of worship. Thanks be to God for the gift of faith. So now we've seen what Abel places faith in, the value of faith in our worship, but I introduced this whole sermon by saying, what is the value of faith in our day-to-day lives? What is the value of faith when things go wrong? What is the value of faith in tragedy? It's one thing to know, and we do know, that our faith should be in God, that our faith, by faith, our worship is accepted by God. But when the rubber meets the road, when things get tough, 
What is the value of faith then? Hebrews 11.4 actually gives us the answer. It says, through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. But that's rather encryptic. What does that even mean? Let us again look at the account of Genesis, starting in verse 8. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Notice how in that passage, over and over again, it says, Abel, his brother, Abel, his brother, where is your brother? It is making it very clear. Abel is Cain's brother. And here the Lord is asking Cain rhetorical questions. Where is your brother? What have you done? And those questions should ring a bell. It's the questions God asked Adam and Eve in the garden when he said, where are you and what have you done? See, God, the creator and Lord of the universe, he he knows the answers to these questions. These are questions that a judge asks a guilty man. Cain here is on trial. Judgment is pending. And these questions are an invitation one last time to repent. But Cain, rather than repenting, boldfaced lies to the Lord and asks in retort his own rhetorical question. I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? I do not know. Of course Cain knows. Abel's body is lying dead exactly where he left it. Am I my brother's keeper? Of course not. You're your brother's murderer. But the Lord will not let the testimony of Cain go unchallenged in this courtroom because there is a witness. There is a witness who testifies against Cain. The Lord says, the voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And thus, Abel's blood speaks words of judgment against his brother. Is that all the author of Hebrews means when he says, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks? It certainly means nothing less than that. Consider, for example, the words found in Revelation chapter 6, when it reads, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Clearly then, this idea that Abel's blood can speak judgment against his brother and cry out for vengeance, it is a biblical idea. But underneath that idea, the author of Hebrews and Revelation is presupposing something more fundamental, something more real in a sense. Though Abel died, he still speaks. Though Abel died, he still lives. Though the martyrs in Revelation have died, they still live. Or as Jesus puts it in Luke chapter 20, the Lord, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, is not a God of the dead, but of the living. So yes, by faith, though Abel died, he lives even now unto God in spirit and awaits the resurrection. Yes, Abel's blood still speaks because death cannot have the final word for those who die in faith. And this is true for anyone 
who has died in faith. The gift of faith connects us now to the promised future and the unseen life that we will have forever in God. And thus we can see how valuable our faith is during times of tragedy. Faith in the promised Christmas child means that all tragedy will be turned into happy endings, that all wrongs will be made right, that all cries of anguish will become cries of joy, and that by faith, death itself will be undone, and death becomes the entry into life everlasting. Do you see the difference faith makes in this story? It's subtle, but when viewed through the lens of Hebrews 11, when read through the lens of faith, the story of Abel ceases to be a tragedy. Faith has transformed tragedy. The story of Abel becomes a rags-to-riches story. Abel was born outside paradise, and in a state of sin and misery, he grew up hearing everything his parents lost, and he looked constantly at those flaming swords, knowing he was guilty and unable to go in. He looked at his clothing, knowing he bore shame before a holy God. But Abel had faith in God and in that first Christmas promise. So the world would often treat this murder of Abel as the end of the story. He's dead. That's it. It's done. But by faith, we know that's not the end of the story. And I know you know it's not the end of the story because it continues. By faith, Abel is the first person to enter into eternal blessedness. By faith, Abel is the first to hear his Savior say, well done, my good and faithful servant. By faith, Abel's the first one to step into paradise the very thing his parents lost. And that is a privileged position. Those are riches and blessing beyond our comprehension, and it was all done by grace through faith. That is the value of faith in tragedy. Now, this in no way belittles the tragedies we experience here on earth. Evil is truly evil. Sorrows truly sorrows, and death truly death. After Cain murdered his brother, Adam and Eve legitimately would have grieved over the death of their son. Adam would have to wrestle with physical death, the consequence of his failure to lead his family. Eve would have to bear the loss of her son. That's the fruit of her sin. And whatever hope they had that Cain could be that promised child is cruelly dashed. Cain, instead of crushing the head of the serpent, crushed the head of his kin. And Abel's body was the first to return to the dust, as God said would happen. So you see, faith in no way asks us to pretend that evil is not evil or sorrow is not sorrow. Scripture nowhere tells us not to grieve. Scripture does not say do not grieve. It says we are not to grieve as those who are without hope. Thus, faith is immensely valuable to the tired and grieving Christian because through it, We can have hope in the midst of tragedy. And isn't that what we celebrate at Christmas? Isn't that the good news that we celebrate? Isn't that what we sing and celebrate? A thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. So while our sorrows will last here on earth, we have hope that a new dawn is breaking in and that the sun is rising and his light will cast away all the darkness and all the gloom. And that's good news for us. St. Stephen has been through a lot these past couple years, these past few weeks. 
in much the same way Christians in all times, in all places, have suffered much. But through faith, we know our story will end much the same way as Abel's did, in glorious reunion with God. This, then, is the greatest value of our faith. We receive Christ, and he will be glorified in us. Peter says that we are grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Faith is more valuable than gold because its final outcome is obtaining Christ. So to conclude and wrap up, I I have two things I want to say. First, I want to speak to the unbeliever. Those who are here, those who may be watching, hear this exhortation. I, I wish to speak to you. Maybe you aren't even suffering right now. Maybe your life is going great. Maybe you have all that you need. But I plead with you, if you have not believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and have not submitted yourself to his lordship, turn to him today. Do not delay Because Cain's story goes on too. Cain goes on to build a whole city. And externally looking at him, it looks like his life is great. Victory upon victory it looks like, but yet he perished in sin. And all of those do not come with him. Things in this life are transient. And it is a terrible thing to have God stand over you as judge and ask, what have you done? Because when you hear those words, it will be then too late. But do not despair. God has made a way for you to obtain everlasting life through Jesus Christ. Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. And this he did so that he could gift faith to his people so that they may be brought to himself. So today, if you are hearing his voice, do not harden your heart. Sin is crouching at the door and its desire is contrary to you. But through faith in Jesus, you too can experience the manifold blessings that come through the gift of faith in him. And to you, dear Christians, who may be suffering now, take encouragement in Christ. If you, like Abel, have faith in the promise, Christmas-keeping God, then you have been commended as righteous. You need no longer worry about your eternal state before God because by faith, God's already accepted you. You are loved by God, and your trials and tragedies you suffer now, they will be turned to joy. After all, dear Christians, remember that Jesus' blood was poured out for you. The blood of Abel speaks judgment, but the blood of Christ speaks a better word. And he bids you to come to him, to drink his blood, which was poured out for you. He speaks grace and comfort to his sheep. So take heart, dear Christians, during this Christmas season and each day of the year. For as John says, everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. So that is why we can sing with the great hymn, Joyful, all ye nations rise. Join the triumph of the skies and with angelic hosts proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Let us pray. Our great God, we thank you for your abundant mercies, for your gift of faith that brings us to you, that helps us to look beyond the mire we are stuck in and to see you, to help us walk when we are tired, to help us obtain your promises, to help us come 
back into your presence, into paradise. And may these truths always encourage us to move on and on forward into your glory and knowledge of your Son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.